This is Matt Raymond at the Library of Congress. Each year, thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and lifelong literacy at the Library of Congress National Book Festival for the first time in the festival's nine-year history. Uh, President Barack Obama and uh, First Lady Michelle Obama will serve as honorary chairs of this free event. Held on the National Mall Saturday, September 26th, the 2009 uh, festival will spark readers' passion for learning as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Even if you can't attend in person, you can still participate online. These podcasts with well-known authors and other materials are available through the National Book Festival website at www.loc.gov bookfest. It's now my pleasure to speak with Juno Diaz, who is one of the uniquely innovative writers in America today. He's a short story author turned novelist. Mr. Diaz is widely known for his critically acclaimed The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde earned Mr. Diaz the Pulitzer Prize in 2008, and since then he has become a cultural phenomenon. In addition to winning the Pulitzer, Time in New York Magazine, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Los Angeles Times, Village Voice, Washington Post, and Publishers Weekly were among the 35 publications that placed the novel on their Best of 2007 lists. Mr. Diaz is currently a creative writing professor at MIT. Mr. Diaz, uh, welcome. Thanks for talking with us today. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Um, I, I have to say, I saw you on the Colbert program on Comedy Central, and you talked a little bit about the term nerd, and, and you seem to have embraced nerddom, but what I'm wondering is, uh, how would you define nerd? Oh, that's like a tough question, because it's one of those things where, uh, you know, it's, it's a definition that uh, sort of has you know, a billion subcategories beneath it, and it's just really functions where people say, well, I know one when I see one. Okay. Uh, you know, in my mind, I always thought of, um, I always thought at least the way I was using nerd was from the context that I grew up in, uh, where I grew up in, the time I grew up in. And uh, in that context, uh, especially in my neighborhood, anyone who liked to read was a nerd. And so I'm sure there's a billion other nerds, but the one I think about the most is the fact that, you know, I was a reader. Well, that's uh, that's wonderful. Obviously, at the Library of Congress, we uh, we would like nerds by that definition. Uh, having seen that, I guess it sort of inspired me to maybe uh, mix up the questions a little bit. We'll we'll talk about your writing and your background a little bit, but I think we wanted to uh, ask you maybe some uh, perhaps nerdly or a little bit more unique questions. Um, First of all, I think just basically, if you weren't a writer, what would what would you like to be? Oh, man, if I wasn't a writer, I think I would. Uh, in my my dreams of dreams, I'd probably um, want to do something that allows me to travel an enormous amount. Uh, I'd probably be one of those, um, you know, in the dream fantasy, I'd be one of those uh, airline people. Um, but probably in the end, if I wasn't a writer, I'd probably end up just being a teacher full-time, teaching history at some high school somewhere, because I kind of am drawn to that. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I know that you're a former boxer, uh, so I wanted to just set up a couple of hypotheticals here. Who would win in a fight between you and Sandra Cisneros? Oh, well, no, I'm, I'm no former boxer. <laughs> My father used to box. Uh, uh, but uh, if we're talking about a, a throw-down fight between me and Sandra, oh, that that's Sandra in in two rounds easily, <laughs> easily. Sandra is no joke. 
And uh, I guess you're 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 a product of the 1980s. So uh, is it uh, Sugar Ray Leonard or Roberto Duran? Oh no, uh, my family was uh, Sugar Ray fanatics. I yeah. mean, I think we saw every single fight of him. I think my mother even had a crush on the guy. And are there uh, talking about writers again? Are there any others that you think would uh, would be pretty good in the ring? You know, there's some uh, some pretty tough characters out there. I mean, there's. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, I think about, um, like, I mean, who in the world would want to, you know, who in the world would really want to ever mix it up with Toni Morrison? <laughs> I believe you're broken in four, you know? And then I think it's just people who, you know, I think about uh, people who just, you know, you meet and you think are going to be absolutely ferocious, like Samuel R. Delaney, who's this big bear of a guy, but then turns out to be really sweet. You know, it's hard to know until people throw out the first punch. But uh, I think Jane Ann Phillips would kick a lot of major ass <laughs> without question. I would be, I'd be definitely uh, a little scared of her, you know. Do you, do you see any commonalities between boxing and writing? Well, I mean, again, like I said, that was more my dad's thing. But yeah. I got to say that they, they, they appear uh, real counterintuitive. I mean, boxing is this sport where... You know, to be any good at it, you've got to endure a tremendous amount of pain. You, you know, you go in there and someone tries to punch your damn lights out. <laughs> and uh, writing is a little counterintuitive, too. You cut yourself off from uh, what we would call the social. You cut yourself off from life in some ways to try to produce art. And uh, I think of that, they definitely have a lot in common. It's like you cut yourself off from what would be considered the normal. Mm-hmm. Now, this next question I, I got from one of your fans, and, and I honestly don't know the answer, so I'm just going to ask you. It's it's a nerd test, and it says, what is a trifid? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> That's an easy one. I don't know. <laughs> That's from John Wyndham's, uh, John Wyndham's classic novel, The Day of the Triffids. Oh, okay. Uh, which okay. is a British, kind of, uh, a British apocalyptic novel, and a trifid is like this, uh, this made-up, this fictional plant that ends up taking over the earth uh, by the end of his novel. Okay, well that was only a stumper for one of us, I guess. Um, uh, next one, if you could be a Star Trek character, who would you want to be? And the, oh, list, the, the, list, <laughs> the list I was given says Kirk, Spock, or Jean-Luc Picard, but I think if you want to pick another one, you're welcome. Yeah, man. Well, like, if I'm only limited to Star Trek characters, okay. Myself, if I had to be any kind of starship captain, I would be, uh, I would be Edward James Olmos' character, Adama, in the uh. new Battlestar Galactica. I mean, he's just amazing. But if I had to pick uh, a, a regular Star Trek character, I would have to be Spock. And believe me, in a real world, uh, I think Spock would be the damn captain, and Kirk would be out, like, you know a cook or something yeah and the in the new iteration of star trek uh spock is a little bit more intense isn't he <laughs> yeah yeah but they also had to bend over i mean they had to bend over three ways to figure out how to make someone as cool as spock subordinate to someone as doofus as kirk <laughs> now did you enjoy science fiction growing up i guess that's a classic barometer of nerddom oh yeah oh yeah no definitely i enjoyed everything that um took me out of my time and place. So I read a lot of horror. I read a lot of science fiction. I read fantasy. I mean, there wasn't a genre I didn't like. Uh, I loved westerns. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I certainly have to agree with you about Battlestar Galactica. I don't think I missed an episode of that. Um, next question. What word would you most like to see retired from the English language? Capitalism. Really? Why is that? Well, hopefully it would put an end to the entire apparatus. But, you know, I mean, uh, it's just, for God's sake, it's just what a, what a beast we've created. What a beast. Do you say that mainly because of the the state of the economy, or, or is that sort of a long held thing with you? Uh, it's, I mean, it's as long held as someone of forty can hold something. It's just, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, the word itself connects to an, a larger narrative that itself connects to, um, you know, uh, it connects to a larger paradigm of like pain and subordination. So that's that's a word I wouldn't mind seeing go. Now, you talked a little bit about, I guess, the connection between nerddom and books, and, and this, I guess, we'll say is a hypothetical. Now, if I'm a 15-year-old boy, um, chances are I'm texting, I'm tweeting, I'm on Facebook, I'm playing Guitar Hero, sitting in an air-conditioned room, you know, who knows what else. So, what are these books that you speak of, and why should I care about them? Well, you know, I mean, what can you do? I mean, there's no way that I can convince anyone uh, to be a reader, to become a reader, you know, uh, in, in a span of a few seconds. I think for me what is important is that, like, you know, if I had within, you know, within my proximity, in my circle, a young teenager who I didn't see reading too much, I would, you know, and I guess I would assume I know a little bit about his personality or her personality, I would try to find books that, you know, be the kind of things that, that would not only grip them, that would speak to them. I mean, if you're going to go up against Facebook, uh, trying to give a kid a book like Moby Dick, if they're not a reader, that ain't going to work, man. Mm -hmm. That's just not going to work. Um, I think to cultivate readers, I think, is, is, is something that's both important, but also really difficult, man. Yeah. So I, I would, you know, again, I would, it would just, um, it's, it's all about forming relationships. If this was someone in my life and in my, circle, you know, I would find out what their interests are and get them reading. I mean, I have uh, a young person I know who themselves, they don't always read, but I, I, I knew them for a while, I talked to them for a while, and then I said, you know what, perfect novel for you is Alice Siebold's The Lovely Bones. Gave it to her, and she absolutely adored it. Now, did that turn her into a reader? Does that always work? No. But man, you got to try. you got to try. Mm -hmm. What what does reading what do reading in books offer a young person that all those gadgets and and websites don't? Uh, hard to say. I mean, we've only had these gadgets and websites for a short period, so it's not like we have a longitudinal view of what you know the benefits and some of the drawbacks are. I know from my experience as a reader that one of the one of the extraordinary things about reading is that reading is one of the few places where it's one of the few experiences where we directly and intimately encounter another human subjectivity, where we really see and have shown to us how another person thinks. I think there's very few places where you can dwell under the wing of another person's thoughts for 6, 8, 10, 12, 20 hours. And I think that's deeply humanizing and also, I think, incredibly important for our own selves. We're often so cut off from 
you know, other people's interiorities, that novels give us a glimpse of it the way I think very few other arts, uh, pieces of art do. Mm -hmm. Now, I mentioned earlier that you teach at MIT. Uh, how are the nerds there different from the ones in, say, Central Jersey? Well, since I got uh, plenty of Central Jersey <laughs> nerds up at MIT, well, I can tell you, it's like, look, MIT is like, is like uh, any other select college in the United States, except, um, so what I'm saying is that a lot of the students come, you know, these are the, the smart, bright students who've got a ton of extracurricular activity. They wouldn't be out of place uh, at most select colleges. But MIT, of course, is just that uh, extra level of intense, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a place where uh, it's sort of like a marathon. Most of us go to college, and college has its, its hard periods and its lulls. But at MIT, that thing is just intense all the way through. And uh, I think that it, that ends up... Uh, it ends up leaking into the students. So while my students themselves might be coming from the same background, the same places as kids who end up uh, going to Princeton, kids who end up going at the University of Michigan, kids who go to Cornell, uh, the institution makes them incredibly intense, man. Makes mm -hmm. them incredibly intense. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to talk a little bit about your background and your writing. Um, early on, you were writing mostly short stories, as, as I mentioned. Was it a challenge to transition to novels, or was it uh, more liberating? Well, I mean, I think it was both. I think it was both. I think it's, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's a remarkable sense of freedom when you're working with a large canvas. There's just a joy to that. You know, mm -hmm. um, being a miniaturist gets exhausting after a while. Uh, the other thing, though, is that, you know, novels are, are not easy. Novels are difficult, and they require a whole new set of muscles um, that you've got to develop uh, as a writer, you know. Mm -hmm. um, one thing in the short story form to always be taking things out to try to make the story lean. In the novel, you've got to be far more inclusive. Uh, you've got to... Uh, sort of put more in than you've ever had to do before. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was like at once, you know, as you're saying, at once liberating, but also very challenging. Mm -hmm. Now, y your work draws uh, pretty equally from your Dominican cultural roots and from popular culture today. Do you think there's a tension between the two? Can they coexist, really? Well, why not? I mean, shoot, I always felt that my book was proof positive not only that they can coexist, but they're a natural fit. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the end, you've got to remember that everything seems to exist quite tidily in the real world. I think the only problem is figuring out an aesthetic way to metaphorize it, metaphorize it at the level of art. Mm -hmm. So that you've got Dominican kids who are into all sorts of, you know, pop culture, and that's what they're into. You've got a Dominican kid who um, just wants to play Guitar Hero all day next to a Dominican adult who themselves are just deeply involved with the politics back home on the island. And these people sit down to eat together uh, without any problems. And I think that, you know, everything, everything's out there, man. And mm -hmm. I think it's only in our minds that things don't seem to fit or things seem to clash. So I, I think that getting past our myths of what belongs in the soup is important, but finding out a way to put all these various different things in the soup 
and make someone want to eat it is an even greater challenge. I think people have no problems living in life's stupendous diversity, but they, they do have to be convinced of that stupendous diversity on the page. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got a story called How to Date a Brown Girl, Black Girl, White Girl, or Haffy, uh, which provides, I think, some blunt advice, but you wrote this 10 years ago. Uh, would your advice differ today, particularly now that we're in the age of Obama, as, as some call it? Well, I mean, this again, this was a story that wasn't really about dating advice at all. It was a story about... Um, you know, how self-hatred impacts desire, how race helps to organize who people think is cute and who people think are not cute, um, including their own selves. So, I mean, in some ways, there's plenty of things that have changed in the last 10, 15 years. But in other ways, I think that the general, general calculus, the general racial calculus in this country it remains unchanged. And, um, you know, I, I would think, I would hope that the story, uh, unfortunately, still holds up. Yeah. Um, and finally, I guess before I let you go, I want to ask if there's any other projects you have in the works or anything uh, on the horizon for you. You know, I'm just trying to keep my head, you know, there's that moment where you finally start rolling, where all that thinking coalesces into action. You finally got the, what you need to do and you, you put pen to paper. Right now, I'm still in the contemplative state. I'm still sort of just dreaming about what comes next, but I haven't been able to get anything rolling. Okay. Well, um, Juno Diaz, very much appreciate your time with us today. Uh, no problem. Thanks so much. And we will be excited to hear more from you at the National Book Festival on Saturday, September 26th on the National Mall from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. It's free and open to the public. If you want more details and a complete list of participating authors, go to www.loc.gov bookfest. From the Library of Congress, this is Matt Raymond. Thank you for listening.